hear the word of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that it is that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead of with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are In this tent we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we, always, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and, the, and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is God's word. Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we ask that as we uh, come now to think about this uh, great question of what happens uh, when we die, Lord, we ask that you would give us understanding uh, so that we could know uh, what our future is and uh, where it is that we stand with you and what it is that we can expect. Lord, we pray that you would bring comfort to us, uh, to those of us who are in Jesus, Uh, And Lord, for those who are not, we ask that you would open their hearts so that they might receive the great gift of life that Jesus promises. We ask it uh, for his name's sake. Amen. Uh, Hopefully you will have received uh, this handout uh, on the way in, which has a few Bible verses uh, that we'll touch on as we go through. But we're beginning uh, today a series uh, looking at some of the questions that you have asked. Uh, Maybe you yourself didn't actually ask them. Maybe uh, somebody else, the person sitting next to you asked the question. But they're questions about various topics. Uh, They're the hard questions that people have uh, and which maybe we never quite get around to answering in our normal uh, in our normal kind of course of events. And so over the next few weeks, what we're going to be doing is 
uh, trying to answer some of those questions, or I guess I'll be trying to answer some of those questions. Uh, so next week we're going to be looking at how you can know if you're saved. Uh, the week after we're looking at whether Jesus has human emotions uh, and what that means for how we understand our own emotions. Uh, and then we'll be looking at whether uh, the question of whether if God has forgiven us uh, in Jesus, do we need to keep asking for forgiveness? Uh, and then about a month after that, we're going to be circling back to look at the question uh, of baptism uh, and what that means uh, and who it's for. So we'll have a bit of a break between, between the, the first few questions and that one, but we'll come back to that one a bit later. But today we're looking at this question of what happens when you die. By that I mean what happens the moment you die. Uh, so where do you go? Uh, do you fall asleep for a bit and then wake up at the next moment uh, and it's the day of judgment? Uh, do you kind of jump out of the space-time continuum and, uh, and at the next moment is the day of judgment? Uh, do you float up into the clouds? Uh, Catholics have always maintained that for believers who aren't completely purified on earth, uh, they have to go to purgatory to be fixed up uh, before they can go to be with Christ. Is that what happens? Well, none of those are really what the Bible teaches. And so what we want to think about uh, what does it today is what does it actually say? So in answering that, we'll uh, look at three questions. The first is, where do we go? The second is, what do we do there? Uh, and the third is, what kind of existence uh, is it? There'll also uh, be time uh, for questions at the end, and uh, so if you have questions that come up as we go through, please keep them in mind, and, uh, and you can ask them when we get to the end. So the first question then is, where do we go? Uh, well, there's numerous places uh, in the New Testament that indicate that when we die, we immediately go to be with uh, the Lord Jesus. So Jesus famously said to the thief on the cross, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus' full expectation for where he and that thief would be after their death was in paradise, uh, with God right away. Uh, even already in Genesis, that kind of thing is already hinted at. So in only the fifth chapter of the Bible, among a long list of people who died, there's one man, Enoch, who we're told he walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. So implicit in, the, in that idea, in that act of God, implicit in that, I, in that act is the idea that there is life and existence beyond this physical world. God took him away. Where did he take him to be? Well, he took him to be with himself. There's a life and existence now beyond this physical world for those who are God's people. In the passage that we read just before from 2 Corinthians 5, uh, Paul there holds out this hope of being away from the body and at home with the Lord, and he seems to view uh, that as somehow prior to the day that we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, but one of the greatest statements, I think, of this, this idea that we, that we, um, of where we are after we die, one of the greatest statements is in Philippians 1. You'll find that on, the, on that handout there. And Paul says there, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So Paul anticipates that his immediate situation upon death will be to be with Christ. In other words, there's this consistent uh, testimony in the Bible that if you're a believer in Jesus, when you die, you will go straight to be with the Lord Jesus. You won't go to sleep. You won't suddenly appear at the last day. You won't go to purgatory to be further purified. You'll go straight to be with Christ. The great hope on the other side of death is not just life, as wonderful as that is, but the great hope on the other side of death is to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be like meeting a friend uh, that we've been writing to for years uh, and who has been writing back to us for years, but a friend that we've never met. It will be uh, as though the, the day has finally come when we meet our friend face to face. The day will come when we meet the one that our soul loves and in whom is all our delight. Death is not a terrifying reality, but it is the valley through which we walk in order to meet our long-lost friend, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're a believer, if you've entrusted yourself into the hands of Jesus, then when you die, you will go right on living and go to meet the Lord Jesus and his Father and the Holy Spirit. But what if you're not uh, a believer? What happens to those who don't love Christ when they die? Uh, The Bible says uh, that the destiny that's facing unbelievers is to be locked up, uh, awaiting the final day of judgment. The Apostle Peter uh, talks about that in 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, He says there, you'll find that on the sheet, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. So if you're not a believer, if uh, you haven't given up your life to God in Christ, then when you die, you'll be, the Bible says, imprisoned, imprisoned by God away from his presence and awaiting the final judgment and awaiting eternal condemnation and awaiting an eternity separated from God and from all that's good and noble and true and lovely. It's a terrifying thought. Uh, But it's the message of God in the Bible and it's the reason, in fact, that Jesus came to die on the cross so that no one need suffer that fate if we uh, know and love him. So where do we go when we die? Well, if we're believers, we go straight to be with God, uh, straight to be with our Lord Jesus Christ. But what are believers doing during that period uh, that they're with Christ? What... What are they occupying their time with? 
Uh, the first, uh, there's a number of passages, I guess, that, that talk about that. There's a number of passages in Revelation that give us some insight into that. The first passage is in Revelation chapter 20. Again, you'll find that on that sheet. It says, this is the Apostle John speaking, and uh, he has a vision of, uh, of the things that are yet to take place, uh, the things that are now and are yet to take place. He says, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. It's a little bit hard um, to jump right into the last few chapters of the book of Revelation uh, and to get a handle on what's going on. But I think there's a few things that we can say about this passage that will help us in answering the question that we have. The first is that the time frame for these events that John is talking about here, the time frame for these events is set by the first few verses of chapter 20 in Revelation. And those verses describe uh, what's called the binding of Satan to prevent him from deceiving the nations. Now that binding of Satan... Uh, is to something that Jesus describes as taking place in uh, his ministry during the period of his ministry. So he comes, the, the 72 disciples come back, or the disciples come back, and Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Uh, it's the same kind of event that's in view. Uh, in other words, uh, the events of Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, are events that are taking place now, they're in the now. Second of all, uh, within the imagery of Revelation, the people who are described here as having been beheaded because of their allegiance to Jesus are those, those martyrs, if you like. Uh, they are, in, in the kind of the imagery of Revelation, a kind of um, picture of the people of God in its entirety. So... Uh, the people of God in Revelation are those who persevere in faithfulness to the Lord Jesus to the very end. Uh, even in the face of death, they remain faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the martyrs then become a kind of a, a, a microcosm, if you like, of the faithful people of God, the people who stick with Jesus to the very end. Uh, so then this passage, if you like, gives us a glimpse of what believers who have died are now doing while they wait for the general resurrection and the day of judgment. So right after these verses, we hear about that last day when Jesus returns and the books are opened and uh, those who've, who've, who've known Christ uh, go with him into the new creation and... Um, and those who haven't are thrown with the devil into the, into the lake of fire. But these, this verse here gives us a, a picture of what those people who have been faithful to the end, who have died, uh, what are they doing? They're alive, this passage tells us, and they're reigning with Christ. So the Bible shows us that believers who've died enter into this incredible privilege of reigning with Christ over this present world. Uh, that's not something that we earn. It's not something clearly that we deserve. We've made a mess of ruling over this world. 
but it's a gift that we receive as part of God's grace in Jesus. Jesus' atonement and his forgiveness that he achieved in his death on the cross is so complete, so comprehensive, so wonderful, that it opens the way for us to participate with the Lord Jesus in the work that the Father has entrusted to the Son. Jesus reigns over this world, and those who are with him in glory are sharing with him in that task right now, ruling over this world with him. The second passage that gives us a glimpse of what believers who have died are doing now is also in Revelation. Uh, Again, it's on that sheet, Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. John tells us, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. So again, it's the martyrs, if you like, as a, as a kind of a picture, a microcosm of the people of God, the faithful people of God. Uh, so I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image. Oh, sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth? And avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. So it's the faithful people uh, sitting under the throne of Christ and the throne of God, uh, those people uh, with Christ, they're witnessing the events that are taking place on earth and they're longing for justice for God and for his people. How long, O Lord, they cry out, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. So they're both aware of what's going on in the world, but also in some sense discontent about what's taking place in the world. So although Paul can say, as we saw in Philippians chapter 1, that it's better to depart and to be with Christ, there's still something incomplete about being with Christ in the heavenly places while this world goes on as it presently is. What those believers are waiting for as they're reigning with Christ what they're waiting for is the final judgment and the final triumph of God in Jesus. So there's still evil in the world. There's still injustice. We've heard about that uh, as we prayed this morning, about tragedies, about violence. We turn on the news and we hear about rumours of wars or real wars or acts of violence in homes or in, the, in public. Past wrongs remain unaddressed. And those in glory with Christ who have died are longing, along with Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit, they're longing for that evil in this world to finally be conquered and for God to be vindicated once and for all. 
In other words, God's program of redemption is bigger than just your or my individual escape from sin and death and the sadness of our lives in this world. So when we die, we go to be with Christ. And Paul says it's better by far. But there's still something not right with that. There's still a waiting. There's still a longing. And indeed, in some sense, there can be no rest, Revelation chapter 6 says, until that great day when Jesus returns to put things right. Those who have died and have gone to be with Christ can rest from their labours, they can rest from their struggle against sin, they can rest from the afflictions of existence in physical existence in this world, in a fallen and broken world, but they can't rest completely and entirely until that day when Jesus comes again to judge the living and the dead. So when believers die, what happens? They go to be with Christ. What are they doing? They're ruling with Christ, awaiting the last day when God, uh, God's final victory over evil will be complete. But finally then, what kind of existence is it? What manner of existence is it? Uh, the Bible indicates that our existence after we die will temporarily be an existence that is apart from the body. So Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 that we read before, uh, his contrast there is between going on living in the body, that's option one, going on living in the body, or departing and being with Christ. The implication is that to depart and be with Christ means not being in the body anymore. Uh, But maybe the most important passage about this whole idea is the one that Gary read for us before from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And there Paul talks about three stages of existence as a believer. He talks about, in chapter 4 verse 16, his present experience. So he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what's his present experience? His present experience is that his outer nature is wasting away. But on the other hand, his inner nature is being renewed. So his present suffering, it turns out, is actually uh, bringing his future inheritance and making it a present reality. So it's as though the future uh, is pressing back into the present. His outer nature, his body is wasting away, but his inner nature is being renewed day by day. Now, Paul is conscious that, pushed to its limits, people might misunderstand what he's saying. They might misunderstand and think okay, if our inner nature is being renewed day by day, but our outer nature is wasting away, then maybe our ultimate hope is just to be rid of that outer nature, just to be rid of our physical body and just to be renewed spirits. 
And so Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, no, that's not what's going on. He says, for we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. So Paul says that the ultimate hope is to be clothed, not to be naked. You might be enormously relieved by that thought. Oh, gosh. But Paul's not talking about what clothes we will or won't uh, be wearing in the new creation. He's making a point. He's talking metaphorically. He's talking metaphorically about having a body and not having a body. He's saying that uh, having a, uh, saying that to, be, to not have a body is to be, it's a kind of nakedness. He says that this body that we live in is like a tent. It's like a temporary dwelling and it's going to be destroyed. But our hope is not to go on living without a place to stay. Our hope is not to be a naked soul Our hope is to be clothed with a heavenly dwelling. And the heavenly dwelling that Paul has in mind is the same heavenly dwelling that he talks about in one of his other letters to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There he talks about uh, that great day when Jesus will return. And he talks about having been given on that day a body which is fit to live in God's new creation made in Jesus Christ. So he says in 1 Corinthians 15, the last passage there on that sheet, he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. He's talking about the resurrection at the last day, and he's talking about a bodily resurrection from the dead. We'll be raised with new bodies, made to be like Christ's glorious resurrection body. The perishable, the outer nature, which is wasting away, will be raised imperishable. In other words, our ultimate hope is to be resurrected with new bodies. But that doesn't happen until that day when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, when he raises all people, either to life or to condemnation. Jesus will return and raise his people from the dead. Uh, And so, in the verses that follow then, Paul goes on to talk about, well, what about in the meantime? Here's our present experience, outer nature wasting away, inner nature being renewed day by day. And there's the kind of the final experience, our outer nature being raised from the dead, made imperishable, made like Jesus' glorious body. But what what about in the meantime? What about those who've died, whose bodies have died, 
but who are awaiting that last day. What happens to them? And so Paul seems to envisage in those next verses this kind of temporary state in which we're away from the body but at home with the Lord. He says in verse 6, Therefore we're always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. You can't have the two together. If I'm at home in the body, I'm away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So Paul seems to envisage this temporary state of what he calls nakedness. A state in which God's people who have died have lost their earthly bodies, but are also yet to receive their resurrection body. They're with Christ, they're reigning with him, longing for the last day, but they're also naked, unclothed, waiting to be clothed in immortal bodies like Christ's glorious body. Which is just like Jesus, actually, who... Uh, On that day, when he was crucified, he said to the thief on the cross with him, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But his body died, and he he was laid in the grave. And it was only three days later that he took it up again. For those three days, he was with the Father, but without his physical body well for us too when our physical body dies if we belong to jesus if our when our physical body dies our inner nature which has been resurrected and renewed by the holy spirit will just go on living will pass from death to life and will go to be with christ but that will be a temporary state an incomplete state while we wait for the day to come when Jesus will raise our bodies from the dead. Paul describes that as like losing a tent and waiting to move into a new home. There's a home that we have in heaven that we're waiting to receive. So it's better to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Of course it is. But we need to remember that that's not our final goal. Our final goal for those who belong to Jesus is a physical world renewed by Christ. It's a world like this world, but put right. It's a world without evil and without sin. It's a world without death and disaster and sadness and disease. So if you belong to Christ, what happens when you die? What happens is that you will go to be with Christ, you'll go on living You'll reign with Christ, but that's not the end. You'll be waiting for the last day, for the resurrection of the dead, for the final judgment, for God's new creation in Jesus, and for the destruction of everything that denies and rejects God. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for the glorious hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ of life beyond death. Thank you that he is the resurrection and the life and that whoever is with him has passed from death to life. Lord, thank you that that's already true. 
that those of us who have entrusted ourselves to Jesus, who have given our lives to him to rule and to take care of, Lord, that those of us who have done that have already been raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. And Lord, thank you that that day, on that day when each of us faces death, thank you for the great hope and encouragement that we have that death is not the end, but merely the valley through which we must pass to meet our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ face to face. Lord, we pray that that would be an encouragement for us when we face death, whenever that might be. Lord, help us to be prepared for that now by thinking on these realities. And Lord, help us to understand too that your great desire is not for us to shed this world, but for this world to be cleansed of evil, put right, and for us to be raised to be like Christ, not only in our character, but also by putting on the imperishable uh, nature which he inaugurated in himself in his own resurrection from the dead. Lord, strengthen us with those hopes, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Does anyone have any-